Chapter 25 of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe DeNoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter 25 At last I have been shipwrecked, said Tregamine next morning. When the Port Alegre had gone down, in fifteen or twenty fathoms, the island in Mayumba Bay, toward which she was nearest, became the refuge of those she carried. Nobody had perished in this extraordinary catastrophe. No one was missing from the roll call amongst the passengers or her crew. They had all helped each other. Antifer had held up Zambuco. Sauk had held up Ben Omar. They had only a few strokes to make to reach the rocks of the islet. Only the elephants had disappeared amid the element for which nature had not created them. They were drowned. After all, it was their fault. It does not do to make a boat into a seesaw. Antifer's first remark on landing had been, and our instruments? And our charts? Unfortunately, and a loss was irreparable, neither the sextant, nor the atlas, nor the nautical almanac had been saved, the disaster taking place in a few seconds. Fortunately, the banker and the notary and the bargeman carried in their belts the money required for the voyage, and there would be no difficulty in this respect. Neither had Tregamine had any difficulty in supporting himself in the water the weight of the liquid displaced by his volume being greater than that of his body, and he tranquilly drifted ashore on the surge of the cetacean. It was easy to get dry. The clothes had only to be laid out in the sun for half an hour to become as dry as a bone. But there was a rather disagreeable night to be passed under the trees, every man abandoning himself to his own reflections. A day had arrived in the neighborhood of island number two, there could be no doubt. But how were they to determine the exact spot where three degrees, seventeen minutes south latitude, crossed seven degrees, twenty-three minutes east longitude, now that Jewel had no sextant or chronometer, and could not take an altitude. And so each of them, according to his character and aspirations, remarked to himself, Zambuco, this is sinking in sight of port. Antifer, I shall not go away until I have ransacked every island in this bay, if it takes me ten years to do it. Sauk. Well-laid scheme has failed, owing to this absurd shipwreck. Barrasso, and those elephants were not insured. Ben Omar, Allah protect us, my commission will have cost me dear if I ever get it. Jewel, there is nothing now to prevent me going back to Europe, Tanagain. Tregamine, moral, never go to sea on a ship with a cargo of facetious elephants. Nobody slept very much that night. The shipwrecked ones might not suffer from cold. In what way would they next morning at breakfast time reply to the cravings of their hungry stomachs? At least unless the trees were coconut trees laden with fruit, with which, for want of something better, they might support themselves until they reached Mayumba. But how were they to reach this town, which was five or six miles off? Make signals? Would they be seen? Swim five or six miles? Was there any one of the crew who could do that? Anyhow, when daylight came, the matter would have to be considered. There was no appearance that this island was inhabited, by human creatures be it understood. But there was no want of other living things. Noisy, inconvenient, dangerous perhaps by their numbers. Tregamine had a notion that all the monkeys in creation had met on the island. Perhaps he had landed in the capital of the kingdom of Jaka, or Jacolia. And though the temperature was calm, and the surf hardly rippling on the beach, there was not an hour of peace to be enjoyed on the island. 
The silence was continuously troubled, and it had been impossible to sleep. There was a curious uproar among the trees. It seemed as though a troop of Congolese were playing on tom-toms. There was much running backwards and forwards under the branches and among the branches, with guttural cries from husky sentinels, the darkness of the night preventing anything being seen. When daylight came, the mystery was revealed. The island served as a refuge for a tribe of chimpanzees, and although they had trouble to sleep, Tregomain could not but admire these magnificent specimens of the anthropoid family. They were the very jockos or buffon, able to do many things ordinarily reserved for human hands and intelligence. Tall, strong, vigorous, prognathism of the face little marked, the ridges of the eyebrows almost normal. It was by distending their stomachs and rubbing them vigorously that they produced the drumming noise. There were about fifty of these chimpanzees who had taken up their abode on the island, but how they had got there from the mainland, how they had found sufficient food there, we leave to others to explain. Joel was not slow to discover that the island, measuring about two miles long and a mile wide, was covered with trees of a different kind common in tropical latitudes. No doubt these trees produced edible fruit, which gave the chimpanzees their means of existence. But the fruits, the roots, the vegetables on which the chimpanzees fed, man could feed on also. Of this, Joel, the bargeman, and the sailors all once took advantage. After a shipwreck, after a night without food, it is pardonable to be hungry and to seek for something to eat. The ground produced, in their wild state, a quantity of these fruits and roots. To eat them raw, however, is not very satisfying, unless you have the stomach of a chimpanzee. But you are not forbidden to cook them if you have the means of doing so. When you have a few matches, that is possible, if not easy. Fortunately, Nazim had renewed his supplies at Luongo, and the brass box in which he kept them had not got wet inside. And consequently, almost as soon as the day broke, a wood fire was crackling under the trees of the encampment. The company was gathered round this fire. Antifer and Zambuco were as angry as ever. Doubtless, anger is nourishing, for they refused to share in the rudimentary breakfast, to which were added a few handfuls of the nuts the Guineans thought so much of. The chimpanzees also regaled themselves, and probably did not look kindly on these invaders on their island, these strangers who were attacking their reserves. Soon they began to draw in, and some of them capering about, the others at rest, but all grimacing violently, formed a circle round Captain Antifer and his companions. We must be on our guard, said Jewel to his uncle. These chimpanzees are powerful fellows, ten times more numerous than we are, and we are without arms. Antifer was not likely to care much about chimpanzees. You are right, my boy, said the bargeman. These fellows do not seem to be acquainted with the laws of hospitality, and their attitude is threatening. Is there any danger? asked Ben Omar. The danger of being knocked to pieces, replied Jewel seriously. At this reply the notary would have fled, but it was impossible. Barrasso, however, placed his men so as to repel any attack. Then Souk and he began to talk privately, while Jewel watched them. The subject of the conversation may be guessed. Saul could not disguise his irritation at the thought of this unexpected shipwreck, having wrecked his plan. Another must be devised. As they had arrived in the vicinity of Island Number 2, no doubt the treasure of Kamalik Pasha would be found on one of the islands in Mayumba Bay, either this or another one. But nothing could be done as yet. 
This was clear enough to the two scoundrels, so worthy of understanding each other. Of course, Barasa would be well paid by his accomplice for the losses he had undergone, and the value of the vessel, her cargo, and the elephants would be restored to him. The main point was to get to Mayumba as soon as possible. A few fishing boats had just come away from the coast. They could be easily distinguished. The nearest was being sailed within three miles of the island. The wind was light, and she would not be in sight of the encampment for three or four hours, when they could signal for her. Before the day was over, they could all be installed in one of the factories of the town, where they could but receive a hearty welcome and liberal hospitality. Jewel! Jewel! This appeal suddenly interrupted the conversation between Sayuk and the Portuguese. It was Captain Antifer who had made it, and it was followed by another. Gildas! Gildas! Jewel and the bargemen, who had gone to the beach to watch the maneuvers of the fishing boats, returned in reply to Antifer. Zimbuka was with him, and Ben Omar, at a sign, approached. Leaving Barroso to return to his men, Sewu came gradually nearer the group, so as to hear what was being said. As he had to be careful to let it be supposed that he did not understand French, nobody took much notice of his presence. Jewel, said Captain Antifer, listen, for the time has arrived to come to a decision. He spoke in a harsh, jerky voice, like a man in a paroxysm of irritability. The last document tells us that Island Number 2 is situated in Mayumba Bay. Now, we are in Mayumba Bay, are we not? There is no doubt of it. But we have no longer our sextant and chronometer, for this clumsy tregomane to whom I was fool enough to trust them had lost them. My friend, said the bargeman. I would rather have got drowned than lost them, replied Antifer harshly. And so would I, added the banker. Indeed, Mr. Zambuco retorted Tregomaine with a gesture of indignation. Well, they are lost, continued Captain Antifer, and for one of the instruments it will be impossible, Jewel, to determine the position of island number two. Impossible, uncle, and in my opinion the only wise thing to do is to go to Mayumba in one of those boats, return to Luango by land, and embark on the first steamer that puts in. That, replied Antifer, never! And the banker, like a faithful echo, repeated, never! Ben Omar, looking from one to the other, shook his head, as idiots do, and Sauk listened without seeming to understand. Yes, Jewel, we will go to Mayumba, but we will stay there instead of returning to Luango. We will stay there as long as it is necessary, understand me well, to visit the islands in the bay, every one of them. What? There are not many of them, five or six. If there were a hundred or a thousand, I would search them one after the other. Uncle, that is not reasonable. Most reasonable, Jewel. One of them contains the treasure. The document indicates the position of the point where it is buried by Kamalik Pasha. Confound the fellow, murmured Tregomaine. With the will and the patience, continued Antifer, we shall end by discovering the spot marked by the double K. And if we do not find it, asked Jewel? Do not say that, Jewel, exclaimed Antifer. For the sake of heaven, do not say that. And in a paroxysm of indescribable fury, his teeth ground the pebble between his jaws. Never had he been near an attack of congestion in the brain. Joel did not think worthwhile to say any more, in face of such obstinacy. The search, which he thought would end in nothing, could not take much more than a fortnight. When Antifer had convinced himself that there was nothing to hope, he would, whether elected or not, have to return to Europe. So he replied, let us be ready to embark in that fishing boat as soon as it comes ashore. 
Not without searching this island, replied Antifer. Why should we not begin with this one? The observation was logical. Who knew if the treasure-seekers had not reached their goal without the aid of sextant and chronometer? Not very likely, you say. Perhaps so. But considering all the disappointments and fatigues and perils, why should not the goddess of fortune have shown herself propitious to her adorers? Jewel did not venture an objection. The best thing to do was to lose no time. The island might be searched before the fishing boat reached them. As soon as she came near the rocks, it was to be feared that the crew of the Port Alegre would want to go on board in their haste to get a substantial meal in the factories of Moyumba. Why should it compel these men to submit to a delay, the cause of which could not be explained to them? To inform them of the existence of the treasure would be to put them in possession of the secret of Camelake Pasha. Nothing could be more reasonable, but when Antifer and Zambuco, accompanied by Jewel and Tregamane, the notary and Nazim, were leaving the camp, would not Barrasso and his men be rather surprised, and would they not be tempted to follow them? This was a serious difficulty. In case the treasure was discovered, what would this crew do at the exhumation of the casks, containing millions in gold, diamonds, and other precious stones? Might it not lead to scenes of violence and robbery, with this mob of adventurers, not one of whom was worth the rope to hang him? Double as numerous as Antifer and his companions, they could soon overpower them, knock them about, and murder them. Certainly their captain would not try to restrain them. He would be more likely to lead them on, and claim the lion's share in the business. But to oblige Captain Antifer to act only with extreme prudence, to make him understand it would be better to wait a few days, to first reach Mayumba with a shipwrecked crew, and to return next day with a boat specially engaged for the trip, after getting rid of these suspicious fellows, was anything but easy. Jules uncle would refuse to listen to reason. Never would they get him away until he had ransacked the island. No consideration would stop him. The barsman was promptly sent to the right about when he offered these very observations to his intractable friend. The only reception he got was a broadside in two words. Come on. I entreat you. Remain if you like. I can do without you. A little prudence. Come, Jewel. And he had to obey. Antifer and Zambuco left the camp. Tregomain and Jewel followed them. The men made no attempt to move. Barrasso did not seem to take any interest in the reason for the passengers walking off. How was this? It was because Sauk had heard all that passed, and having no wish to delay or hinder the search, had simply given the Portuguese the word. Barrasso turned to his crew and ordered them to wait at the point for the fishing boats and not move away from the camp. And when this was done, Ben Omar, at a sign from Sauk, started after Antifer, who was not surprised at seeing the notary flanked by his clerk, Nazim. End of chapter 25